Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, discuss film from the unpretentious perspective. Today, we bring the month of the Flying Ferrelli Brothers to a close with a discussion of their film, Kingpin. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and as always, please be advised that spoilers are ahead. Hey, listeners, welcome back. What up? For our second installment of the Flying Ferrelli Film Month, the Triple F's as we dubbed it the last episode. We hope you all have been doing well. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) We record these in advance, so, you know, by the end of this month, I'm hoping that the news of the world has been improving somewhat. It's still about the same as the last time we recorded, so, you know, hope our prayers and hearts and whatever with Ukraine... Hopefully things have not uh, escalated further. Um, but yeah, uh, salutations to anyone from Ukraine or, you know, who is originally from Ukraine that are listening to the show. Uh, but yeah, a great time for us to be talking about comedies this month. Yes, so to tea. really lighten the mood in the world. And let's just say, you know, if if things are better in a month, we'll say that Whiskey is a psychic. And if things aren't, we'll say he's a quack. So, you know. Just... If I am a psychic, it's ironic because I don't believe in psychics. But, you know, who knows? That, that would be ironic, right? What if God blessed me with a gift I don't think is, that exists? Wouldn't that be ironic if, like, we just all just had gifts that we didn't believe in and that's what made them gifts? So we never act. Honestly, it's honestly, kind of sounds like a uh, like a comic book hero. Like that almost kind of reminds me of uh, Constantine with DC Comics because he's like a very like cynical exorcist. But anywho, I mean, that, uh, what are we talking that's about? Basically, The Exorcist. I mean, The Exorcist is about a priest who doesn't believe anymore. Essentially, <laughs> you know, I know you don't read as many comics as me, T, but I feel like you'd really like Constantine. Besides the fact that he's a chain smoker, he's uh, oh. he's basically DC's version of The Exorcist, oh. but as a superhero. You know, chain smoker. That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so this month not this month so this episode we are talking about the 1996 classic comedy kingpin now this was <laughs> this was like last week not last week last episodes directed by peter and bobby farley although both farley but this is a name both of them both their names were on it but they did not write it this was written by mort nathan and Barry, and I cannot read my handwriting, Barry Fanero. That's uh, interesting because I, like last episode, I said this, but uh, they were saying that usually they do write their own movies, but they have a writing partner. So usually when they write their movies, it's the two of them plus, uh, ooh, I've got my notes from last episode. Let me see. It's uh, Benny Yellen is usually the guy they write their movies for. So that's interesting that this, and also that makes sense that uh, we'll get into my (laughs) opinions of this film, but it makes a lot of sense that they didn't write this one. Um, And it's interesting. Like, so this was kind of perfect timing because I wasn't aware of this when you picked this film. And I'm sure you weren't that these two films are the first two films that the fair Ellie brothers, I always want to say Ferrelli, but it's apparently fair Ellie like Farelli, whatever. Um, <clears throat> it's the first two films that they ever did. So this, like, just like we're following last 
episode uh this was the follow-up to dumb and dumber and strangely like this is a lot of like i i know a lot of people where this is their favorite forelli brother film and that always was interesting to me because i'd never really seen this one before i caught it on tv a few times and i thought it was really strange i had like a friend in like grade school who referenced this movie a bunch and he explained to me like what the where where the reference came from and stuff but uh I don't know. It's it's interesting because this one is a lot of people's favorite Ferrelli Brothers film. Well, but... and you know, it's interesting that you brought up this as second one. They actually did kind of use the Dumb and Dumber in the marketing. They even on the poster even says, "From the idiots, what brung you, Dumb and Dumber?" It says it on the poster. <laughs> oh my god, that's actually kind of. Again, we'll get into my opinion of this film, uh, but it is, it's very telling that they used the last film to market this film without really speaking on this film's strengths. But before we forget, we should uh, talk about what we're drinking. Yes. So for this episode, I am sticking with the theme of beer. Uh, and I got to say, I only picked this because it sounded cool, but this, this episode, I'll be drinking Dragon's Milk, which is a <laughs> bourbon barrel aged... <laughs> And it's a bourbon barrel aged stout. Now I will be transparent in saying I picked it because I freaking love dragons. I'm a sucker for them. But uh, as I was reading the bottle, I realized that this is actually brewed in Holland, which I mean, I guess, yeah, no, I guess that does actually have um, a bit of a connection with this film in that it does feature uh amish and amish i believe come f they're dutch so the fact that this is from holland actually there's a very very tenuous connection well but, i uh, think i think <clears throat> i think amish they 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 get they actually i think they come from switzerland maybe i could be wrong no not but... switzerland i know they're it's like <clears throat> I think they're Dutch, but I might be wrong. But the, it's it. Ugh. I've been to Amish country, and they explain this stuff to you. And I, it's been ages, so I don't. Well, because I know I but do. If, I do know there's a difference between Amish and then Dutch. I've heard people refer to Amish than Dutch Amish. So I think well, there are religion. different sects out there. It's a religion, so it's like it's where they came from. It's all a way Amish of people. Life. All really Amish people are American. Like if they're here, you know, they're they're citizens of the United States, but the religion apparently originates from whatever country it's, an but, it's uh, anabaptist we'll <laughs> expect expect a spicy episode everybody because this one is 11 percent alcohol by volume so oh, okay so you're we'll gonna be lots of goes. fun you know, you, you know <laughs> amish historically speak german right no that's what i mean i was actually going to say like i feel like they might come from germany i know that it's not switzerland i know that for sure but uh yeah I don't know. It's interesting. I'd, I'd like to go back. I, Amish country is a lot of fun to visit. If you're either from outside of the United States or you've just never been, it's a great time. They make good stuff. I still actually, I can even see it from here where I'm recording. I first time I went uh, for a DC trip in middle school, I got what they call a quillo, which is a pillow that unfolds into a quilt. That's pretty uh, cool. <laughs> it's really cool like on that and like uh, on that same trip we stopped off at an amish uh, farmer's market for lunch and i think i blew all my money on like junk food like chocolates and stuff like that but they make good stuff i mean uh, they... i used to go to amish country up in indiana 
Um, yeah. I remember there was a place that we used to go to all the time called Das S. Essen House. And they had really good food there. But I remember going into some of the stores and being like, Mom, this cheese has eyes in it. <laughs> it's a fascinating uh, way of life. Uh, one I certainly could never stand living in but <laughs> but they do make great stuff uh say what you will about them shunning technology but man they make some excellent food some excellent quilts and uh, some excellent furniture seriously i i would imagine so if i was <laughs> if i was living in that part of the country that's probably i bet i bet it's cheaper probably too uh, yes and no. Because... Imagine since they don't need uh, Wi-Fi and whatnot, they probably don't like hook up the charges for things. So probably mostly just cost of materials and labor. But anyway, so we're talking about Kingpin. Kingpin. Okay. Now. Kingpin starring Woody Harrelson as Roy Munson, Vanessa Angel as Claudia, uh, Randy Quaid as Ishmael uh, Borg, I think is what his last name was, and then Bill Murray as Ernie McCracken. Uh, or Big Ernie, as he's known later. Um, first off, Randy Quaid. Oh my God! I think he was just in the news recently because I think he's, <laughs> yeah, he's like trying to get asylum in Canada because he says the Hollywood mafia is after him. He so. said that years ago, so I guess he's still trying to do that. I, it's funny. My I watched this one with my sister, uh, and she did not know Randy Quaid went off the deep end. So like. Halfway through the movie, I was like, it's so weird that Randy Quaid is in this, like, because he was really big in the 90s. And it's so funny watching him play sort of a wholesome character, knowing how he is in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, you don't know? And I, I didn't bring up the the YouTube manifesto he, he posted, like... <laughs> years ago with like some lady in a bikini in the background like while he's like bearded and wild-eyed and talking about like government surveillance or whatever he was it's it's really funny because like the other movie he was in that was like a really big hit was independence day and that movie's kind of funny oh, i he's forgot sort of playing he was in that it's funny because he's sort of playing a conspiracy nut job in that film and then i guess you know art imitates real life um <laughs> But yeah, so... Uh, See, I know him as I, Eddie from Christmas Vacation. That too. And <laughs> and regular Vacation as well. I think he was He was Eddie in that too? In the, oh, I know he was I also... I think so. He was in Vegas Vacation also. Again, I think he was Eddie in all of the Vacation films. So that's... Like, he was a big star. Like, especially in the 90s, partly because of Independence Day, but even before then. But, uh... I guess, like, so first question will be, like, why did you recommend this? But also, I'm sure you want to get into the nitty gritty of, like, the budget and how much this made and stuff. Because I'm actually kind of curious. I didn't I didn't do any research since this was your pick. So I am kind of curious if this was as big of a hit as Dumb and Dumber. So, okay. So I picked this movie because I was trying to find a movie that was, that was equal to, to Dumb and Dumber in kind of its ridiculousness because it's not too ridiculous, but it's kind of ridiculous. So I was trying to find something that came up and then this one came to mind. I was like, Oh my God, I haven't watched this in forever. And I remember being fine. And then it turns out after we shared our picks that they were both made by the flying Ferrelli brothers. So that, that was a happy accident that that happened. Uh, and again, it's also kind of a happy accident. I mentioned this in the last episode, but I believe that the Ferrelli brothers are Irish American. So for the month of March, where normally like the big holiday is St. Patrick's Day, I don't know, kind of fits. It does. Uh, it does up fit. being sort of accidental, but yeah, it, it was. It, this whole month was a happy accident. 
Um, but I'm very, very happy with how it came out. Uh, but the box office for this one, this was not, this was not a big performer. Um, so it had a budget of 25 million and it pulled 32.2 million at the box office. Period. You mean like worldwide? Worldwide. Yeah. Damn. That's, that's actually fascinating. Cause like I said, I'm not joking when I say I've met a number of people where this is the favorite film by the Ferrelli brothers. Well, there was it's not, it's not a majority of people, but there are people. And that's kind of the thing you, you always forget when you're watching movies is every movie is someone's favorite movie. Yeah. If you're watching like some garbage, uh, like, or at least in your opinion, it's garbage. It's like someone, this is their favorite movie. Well, and I have met people where this is their favorite film by the Ferrelli brothers. And I find that so fascinating because they've done quite a bit of things. Like I, I feel like most people would say either dumb and dumber or there's something about Mary is their favorite film. So I, it's interesting to me. So, but um, there's actually, there's actually a story behind that. Oh, kind of a theory behind that. So Peter uh, Forelli has, has gone on record as saying that the box out, the low box office was the biz- the biggest disappointment of their career. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was not good, but he does bring historical context into this. And I can kind of see how this would make a role. He does cite his belief as not doing well as it opening um, just the day before the 1996 bombing of the Olympics. Um, in Atlanta. So as we remember, I don't know if you remember this from 9-11, there was kind of this big thing after a national tragedy like that where it's like, how long is respectable enough to not to feel happy? Do you know what I mean? No, and it's not just like, and also (laughs) it sounds like the Ferrelli brothers were a little bit more respectful, but every time an artist released something right in time for a tragedy, there's always kind of blaming the tragedy. I, I did not know this when it happened, but years later I found out Mariah Carey uh, starred in her first film uh, around the 9-11 attacks yeah well i mean and, uh, and she blamed she said that's the reason it didn't do well was because well, of 9-11 hey, but, hey, but whatever that's probably somewhat true i but. mean that is that i mean that can see i mean there was a huge like economic collapse in the entertainment and vacation industries after 9-11 uh, it's yes. the nation was mourning and there was a huge downturn like Disney, uh, notably at the time, they didn't have enough people to keep their resorts open. So they only had like, I think at Disney World, like one or two of their 17 resorts open because they didn't have oh, enough sure. people visit. So I do think there is I like I can't you can't blame literally every tragedy for that. But no, no, no. I, I speak again. And also, it sounds like the Ferrelli brothers were not like they were respectful about yeah. it. I did. Mariah Carey's just funny. Cause if you look at the numbers of the box office for the movie she was in, it's like, I think you might just be, <laughs> I think you might just be, uh, <laughs> conveniently blaming something else. Well, but they also um, but said anyway. that after it went into VHS distribution, it was, it was a huge hit. Um, yeah. And it, that's, it that's also off. kind of a, and we, we haven't actually, maybe God, you know, it's funny. We've been doing the show for, almost you know this is our third year doing this right. so i feel like we must have talked about a film like that the one there's a couple that come to mind like one off the top of my head is fight club where you know it did not do well in theaters but then through blockbuster everyone rented fight club and enjoyed it so that's th- like that's I like think, a whole 
Shawshank Redemption was kind of the same way. Like, I, like, like it, it became huge. No, 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 it was. It was exactly the same way. It was not a big, but it was one, the critics liked it when it came out, but no one went to see it. And then later and then, on, people. Well, because okay, it was cheap to uh, pick up for syndicate. A lot of people remember watching because TNT used to show it like nonstop. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people, that was their first experience watching it was on TNT. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. So there's actually an argument, at least with that movie, that people are saying people have to like film scholars and stuff have actually passed the question if nostalgia is the reason why Shawshank Redemption is as popular as it is today. But that's for another story. Uh, for sure. And, and that's something we might want to review in the future. I think it's really good. I had no nostalgia connection when I saw it. And it's kind of one of those where it's not my favorite film of all time. But the people who say that it's the great it's. There is no such thing as the greatest film of all time. And that's where I like to have discussions with people, because even if I don't feel that way, there can be like a case for it. And that's one of those films where even though it's not my favorite film of all time, I do think that there is an argument to be made about it being, quote unquote, the greatest film of all time. Same as like Citizen Kane or Vertigo or like any of the other ones that are always thrown around. You like, can't even name I've my favorite. My own... Come on. <laughs> well in yours i mean hey uh gone with the wind there's definitely a case for that one as well you know like it it's it, for me that's where i have fun talking about movies right, with yeah. people is because everyone's got their own taste and stuff and I, this i would say gone with the wind is also a great contender for greatest film of all time wizard of oz yeah you know like it, it depends on what you're into but like i i like talking to people about movies when they have kind of you know their own opinion of things so anyway yeah so 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 this one did really well with rentals with rentals and actually even though critics were kind of mixed on it uh siskel and ebert did give it a positive review giving it a 3.5 out of four of course they did (laughs) and later on bravo uh gave it listed as number 68 on bravo's 100 funniest movies and vulture listed as number two on a list of Woody Harrelson's best films, um, which I actually kind of agree with that on. Uh, I kind of he's he's really good in comedies. You don't see him too frequently, but when he is in a comedy, he's really good. You, it's like, funny. I feel like most, depending on uh, the age of whoever's listening, like I'm sure most of you probably know him from Zombieland, and that's also a comedy. And I thought he was pretty funny in that. It's was... also speaking of Zombieland, I mentioned this when I was watching this with my sister, but it's funny because in Zombieland, he plays like a big Bill Murray fanboy. And then Bill Murray and in shows this up film, in a later he, one, Yeah, right? exactly. He co-stars with Bill Murray in yeah. this one. So I didn't think about that when I saw Zombieland being like, oh, they'd already starred to, co-starred together. <laughs> so I was thinking like, oh, like when I even saw Zombieland, I wasn't thinking of that probably because I really hadn't seen this film. And uh, it was like, oh, this might even be the first time Woody Harrelson's working with Bill Murray. Oh, that's really sweet. He might be a big fan and blah, blah, blah. And now watching this, I'm like, oh, no, this isn't even the first time they've acted together. <laughs> like, um, so this so so the people who ended up getting um, the starring roles in this in this in this case would be Woody Harrelson and Bill Murray. They were not the first choices. Uh, Michael Keaton was considered for Roy Munson. Um, Ooh. And M- Nicolas Cage was also considered, but he turned it down. 
and then for Nick Cage would have been great. Actually, he's very <laughs> he's good at playing very weird, weird characters. You know what's or... weird about Nicolas Cage? Everybody talks about Nicolas Cage, and I know I've seen him in a lot of stuff, but he's never like stood out to me to be like, oh yeah, he was in that or something like that. <clears throat> and then it's when people he's go back, really... he was in this, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, he was. <laughs> well, it's funny because next month we'll be looking at a Nicolas Cage film. That is spoiler true. For you know, so anyway, but if, in my opinion, Nick Cage is really good when he's playing like crazy or eccentric characters. Mm-hmm. Very recently, uh, he just did that film Pig, which I highly recommend you see, T, if you haven't yet. Uh, that's like a really good example of him putting a, on a good performance. Right. But I, he's very good at playing like crazy people. Like, I mean, he won an Oscar for playing an alcoholic and leaving Las Vegas so he's very good at that. Like even I'd go as far to say is like his terror, like, well, not his, the, the remake of the wicker man that he starred in is kind of good just because his performance is so ridiculously over the top. It's not as good as the original film, but just for sort of the comedic unintentional comedic <laughs> performance of Nicolas Cage. Um, but he's, he's hit or miss. Uh, and sometimes I even feel like, he's a little too much like I'd, as a horror fan i saw color out of space uh, a little while ago maybe a year ago maybe two years ago and i feel like he became kind of aware that he was sort of getting memed on the internet and so he went full nicholas cage in that film and i felt like it actually kind of hurt his performance because he didn't you know he could have toned it back right but uh but he would have been an interest i kind of would like to see that but woody harrelson's a really good comedic actor uh and he doesn't get that a lot even though he was famous for being the bartender in cheers yeah see uh, like i feel like he plays tough guys a lot so like people now they think of woody harrelson they always think of woody harrelson in like in like these dramatic roles to me woody harrelson will always be woody on cheers like exactly (laughs) he's always to me he's woody playing a character um, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, and, and I guess we'll get into because one thing I kind of like thought about as I was watching both of these films, and uh, it's, it's so like the Ferrelli brothers, they hit it big with Dumb and Dumber, but throughout their entire careers directing comedies, they always got all star casts. Yeah, uh, you know, like uh, there's something about Mary. They got Ben Stiller and uh, Car- uh, Cameron Diaz. They, uh, Shallow Howl was not exactly a big hit, but they got Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, you know, like every, every dumb comedy they ever did, they got an all-star cast of sometimes award-winning actors. And it was just kind of interesting, again, like seeing Woody Harrelson and Randy Quaid, of all people, (laughs) um, in this comedy. And I guess, like, Randy Quaid was in comedies more than anything, so that's not that crazy. But it's just, they always got, like, A-list talent. And it's kind of funny, like, thinking... Jim Carrey's an exception, because he wasn't really famous at the time Dumb and Dumber came out, but or even early in their career, the fact that they got all of these really big stars is kind of impressive. Well, you know, they... there was there there are some there's some interesting stories about casting for this movie. Um, you know, Lynn Shay, who played the landlady in this movie, she <laughs> she, she apparently showed up for this for this audition in character. Like, and they took your sister. They literally thought she was a homeless woman who had come in looking for an ashtray, and they tried to throw her out. <laughs> 
before they realized what was happening. And I'm like, really? They cast, they cast your well. That is one of the grossest scenes in the. Ooh. Ooh. And then uh, they had they had asked Michael Richards from Seinfeld. He played Kramer on Seinfeld. Uh, they wanted him. I don't know what role they wanted him for, but I guess they brought him in to do to talk about doing a role in this movie. And I, I, I guess from what I've read, the meeting didn't go well. And there was some sort of like disagreement or altercation or something. He just started screaming the N word at the top of his lungs for some reason. Just what? over and over again. There's there was no one there that even like he just he just kept saying it. And they were very confused. They had to they had to throw him out after saying the N word so many times. Uh, probably. <laughs> no, but this they, dragon's milk is hitting me, guys. Sorry. Apparently <laughs> so. Well, there was a disagreement, and so he was in this bathroom for like thirty. So they go to get him, and the dude had climbed out the window, and like left. <laughs> That's weird. If if it had gone well, I feel like he would have been good as uh, Bill Murray's character. I feel like he would have been really good as like a bad guy. Yeah, this is and not just because of his controversies. Like he's, <laughs> he's he he actually like before he ruined his career. I mean, and even before Seinfeld, he was very good as at comedic roles. So he would have been a good fit for this film. I don't know why he didn't get, uh, yeah, get along with the I Corelli brothers. I kind of want to know what that conversation was and why no one, <laughs> why he couldn't get, why they're having disagreements. Uh, I'll save this for another time, but one of my favorite stories uh, is David Lynch talking to George Lucas about directing episode six of Star Wars. It's uh, David Lynch tells it better than I ever could, but it is, <laughs> it's just really funny because around the time he was directing Dune, uh, Dave, or George Lucas wanted him to direct the final installment of Star Wars at the time, and <laughs> it was just a very, very bizarre for him kind uh, of experience. Uh, yeah, that that would be very bizarre. Um, they also said that they had approached Chris Farley about being in this movie. They wanted him to be Ishmael. Um, oh my god, actually, ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like how Randy Quaid, uh, Randy Quaid played the character because he was so wholesome. Like, I, I like Chris Farley, but kind of his go-to at the time was sort of just screaming and acting really, like, angry. Well, and that... I feel like what part of the... Re I actually liked Ishmael as a character, and I felt like a lot of the gags with him worked really well because he was so, like, innocent and wholesome. For anyone who's listening, he's he's the Amish character in the film who's like a, a very talented bowler. But part of what was funny to me was that he was an Amish person. He was very naive and he was very like kind hearted. And just seeing him like get into these depraved situations was really funny. It'd right. be like it'd be like watching a nun smoking crack. You know what I mean? It it would just be funny because of how 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 it doesn't fit the character and he's just but it's like he has no he does no i real no idea what the implications are of what's going exactly on. and what? and despite randy quaid being kind of a nutcase in real life apparently yeah <laughs> uh he plays him very perfectly like again like if, part of what was sort of funny almost in a meta way for me was knowing how randy quaid is nowadays and seeing him play this very likable character yeah um because and he plays him straight he plays him like a very good-natured good christian wholesome like nice guy who sometimes so, dances for other men for money 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I like Chris Chris Farley, I like him just fine. I, I, have, I, I have feel mixed like he wouldn't have been the Farley. same. I have Yeah, I feel feelings. like it wouldn't have been a good vibe or a good I don't fit. think so like, either. I, I actually don't it think would've it would have just been, been him like like he'd be like doing some Amish something like he'd be shooing a horse and then he'd hit his thumb and go, Oh darn it. God damn it. You yeah. know, like that, that's Chris Farley's sense of humor and it's fine. But I, uh, I don't think, I don't think he would have worked in the movie. I don't, he, no, he, he, don't he had the so. right look, I think, but I don't think he was, I, I, as we've talked about last time, it wouldn't have played to his comedic sensibilities. Exactly. And I know what you mean about look. He kind of has an Amish haircut just by himself. Yeah. Had, you know, back rest in peace, sir. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, but yeah. So this is a movie well, that I enjoyed because I think like talk about Dumb Dumber, but this one even more so. It was a comedy, but it had lots of heart, and it didn't cross into shock territory again. Ooh, I disagree. Oh, you disagree? So, so I, I guess so. It sounded it probably Wait, sounded like to anyone who listened. What, what to was what was your what was your opinion? First impressions. I guess. Okay, so as I said, I was somewhat familiar with this film because I'd seen clips of it on Comedy Central, obviously edited for television during daytime hours because it's rated R, so none of the, you know... Was it rated R? I thought it was rated PG-13. Did you watch some... Yes, it was a PG-13 one. Then there's an unrated R version. Or there's an R-rated version. Well, then I didn't didn't watch the unrated version. I just was under the impression it was rated R because I... I'm actually surprised it was, uh, considering a lot of the jokes were pretty. I'm, this was a lot of gross out humor. So let me let me get into like. So last episode, it probably sounded like I was foreshadowing that I hated this movie or something. That's not the case. <laughs> uh, this movie made me think very deeply about the Ferrelli brothers, and that's also <laughs> kind of another reason why I wanted to talk about Dumb and Dumber first, because I was watching it with my sister, and both of us kind of came to the same conclusion where we were like, this is funny. This is really funny, but I just don't care. Like, and it, it's almost kind of <laughs> ironic with what I talked about with, last week with the Ferrelli brothers really wanting you to care about the final act and about the characters and stuff like that. For this, I thought the jokes were hilarious. There were multiple times I had to pause the movie because my sister and I were just, you know, laughing too not hard. able to breathe laughing so hard. But as far as the like plot and the characters and stuff, like I, I didn't really care about the story. How could and you? It's not, interesting you know that you say that this wasn't written by the Ferrelli brothers because I feel like that is probably part of it. In fact, that actually kind of makes it make sense about what they said about them wanting you to care about the characters and stuff because they didn't write this. If they had written it, maybe I would have more. The other... So anyway, I I got to thinking really deeply about the Ferrelli brothers' entire career because I was just like... It just felt very bizarre. And I was like, why do I like Dumb and Dumber more than this movie? Or like other movies that I like better than this? Mm -hmm. And it kind of dawned on me that none of their movies have very good stories. So... In in contrast to what they said in that interview I talked about last episode, mm-hmm. I kind of disagree about them. I do think their films have heart. 
But as far as me being really invested in the story, I wasn't really invested in Dumb and Dumber as far as the story goes. Like, I obviously, like, especially the first time I watched it, I did care. Like, I didn't want them to get murdered, uh, <laughs> you know, when... But but I wasn't... Part of it is, like, when you go into a comedy, you know that the main characters are not going to get killed, you know? Um by right, the end of right. the movie like yeah. you know so like there is kind of that safety harness of that happening but it really made me realize and this goes back to what i said last episode about dumb and dumber is that a lot of their films are just sort of frameworks for gags um, i can see this that. film is like a, a possibly even in a better example because it's just like there's so many jokes in this one that I thought were really funny. The, I, I'll just say right straight up my favorite joke and my sister's favorite joke in this whole movie. It's also not super gross out or anything like that, but it is so simple and it's perfect for timing and Woody Harrelson's performance and everything. At a point late in the movie, they believe that all of their money has been taken and they're, you know, it's it's that point in the movie where they're at their lowest point. And Woody Harrelson and Randy Quaid are like sitting at a bar. Oh my god! Okay, and it I know just holds scene. on them for like thirty seconds, and eventually Woody Harrelson Munson like turns violently to the person next to him and just screams, "Who are you calling a psychopath?" <laughs> And then the guy just like nervously kind of looks around, puts some money down and leaves. And yeah. that was the funniest. That was one of the moments I had to pause because me and my sister were laughing so hard. And it's just the simplest thing. But like <laughs> that, that's a perfect example. Another one, this one is kind of gross out, but it was, it was just funny. And this one's also great because I could tell there was like a setup for a punchline that was coming but the punchline was so ridiculous that it caught me off guard. There's a there's a point where uh, Munson and Borg, you said his name was, Randy Quaid, are yeah. like talking in, in a bathroom. Yeah. And it's a shot reverse shot where it's like Woody Harrelson's character is washing his hands. And it would appear that the, the Amish character, Randy Quaid, is on the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a medium close up. It looks like he's sitting down. You don't think much about it. But because it doesn't start off with an establishing shot, your brain kind of goes, why are they doing that? Yeah. And, you know, and and the the big punchline and reveal is that Randy Quaid's Amish character, because he's not used to like public bathrooms, he's he's sitting on a urinal and 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 defecating into the urinal. (laughs) And uh, there's so many reasons I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny because there were men urinating into the urinals around him and they didn't seem to care to tell him he was doing it wrong (laughs) and it was also again it's it's like when i was watching it i could tell that something was going to be revealed like i could tell from the way there was no establishing shot the way it's really close on them i'm like something's funny about this yeah but just the extremeness of of what he was doing and that it's like his pants are around his ankles. <laughs> it's just no one cares that he's doing it wrong. It, it was just really funny. Um, but that being said, I do think uh, this, like one thing I said last episode about Dumb and Dumber is that it really towed the line of PG-13. And I'm not surprised I thought this was R because this really leans into the gross out humor a lot more. That's not a bad thing. That I'm trying does to not think. make this a worse movie. I'm trying to but, think, like, though. Like, I'm trying to think of gross-out scenes in this. And the only well, one so I can really ex- think of is when he's vomiting. 
that's the scene I was going to go to, but also there's there's a couple. I'll I'll list a few okay, yeah, things that I think and again, like just because I feel like this crosses a line does not mean I think it's bad. It just makes me think I that this is less accessible to people. Hashtag um, sharpen your pitchforks, listeners. I'm just kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, this this is my hot take. Um and possibly not even a hot take. Some people really like this movie, but I, I love I'd, this movie. I'd argue yeah, and I like, I, spoiler alert, I like it. I don't love it, but I, I do like it. Mostly the jokes I thought were funny. But so, like, another, an- the the vomiting scene, so, like, he's having sex with his landlady. They make a very good point to show her legs are hairy, and she's wearing granny panties, and you can see, like, Bush coming out of the the sides of her panties, and it's, like, it's it's intended to be really nasty, um there's also i think uh, i think you may have watched the r-rated release of this because i don't remember seeing that really huh yeah, maybe i should have watched the fu- yeah because there That's was the, the theatrical if i did yeah. if i did i guess this will be my my soapbox to complain about amazon <laughs> because uh it's not just this if, if you ever and i'm sure anyone listening has done this but when you go to amazon and search a movie there'll be like five different versions of the movie and it's really unclear which one like what the differences are so if i watch the r-rated version then that might explain some of it but i'm fairly certain i watched the theatrical release of this and and not only that but like one of the friends i had in grade school who really liked this movie like when i had not seen this movie before he described the scene exactly the way i saw it so I don't know, man. Maybe he had the R-rated release or something. But anyway, so that scene was really gross. This, the the one thing that my sister found really shocking, and I knew because I'd seen it on TV, but it, it is a lot darker than their other films, is kind of the, the opening thing with this movie is, like, we have Woody Harrelson plays a very, like, up-and-coming, young, naive uh, bowler. bowler. Yeah. Very, very uh, talented bowler. And he gets into some trouble uh, because of the antagonist of this film, and he loses his hand. Now, I knew that this was happening, or was going to happen, because I'd seen this before. My sister had never heard of this movie, so when she was watching it, she was like, whoa, that's really dark. (laughs) And she's not wrong. Yeah, it is. If you're going into a comedy about bowling, that is pretty intense and there's no gore there's no super like violence or anything like that but i do think that is kind of an extreme way to start your movie Uh, another gross out kind of comedy thing right after the intro when it shows what has happened to our bowler over the years he's living in a depressing apartment and stuff but kind of going back to dumb and dumber one of his neighbors talks about drinking his own piss it's a little bit more graphic than in Dumb and Dumber. He's like talking about it and it's like, oh, why would it make you sick? And stuff like that. <laughs> There's also a lot more um, kind of male gazy sort of stuff with uh, the the female yeah, lead in the in the film. Is. Like there's the whole thing where they're they're grifting people by having her distract people by like flashing her body. Which, again, I don't think it, it makes the movie worse. But I would say that as far as like stuff that might be viewed as like problematic by today's standards. I feel like it's more dude broy kind of comedy than Dumb and Dumber ever got. Uh, the worst thing that happened in Dumb and Dumber was like when Mary and Lloyd's fantasy wasn't wearing panties. But again, that was also Lloyd's fantasy. So of course he's going to be kind of a, a creep about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could keep going. I think, Oh, 
there was there was some great scenes with the Amish people. The bit where they where where Woody Harrelson chops off the horse hooves. Yeah. Again, really really dark comedy, but like pretty well, funny. The, actually, the I have like, something this... to say about that scene. So that scene is actually changed from how that was originally con- in one of the original cuts of the movie because in the trailer they show him basically cutting off the lower part of the horse's leg. Not just the hooves. So, which is why later on we see the horse being so short. That makes sense because I was wondering about like I I still got the joke, but I was like I don't think the horse would be that much shorter. Yeah. But whatever. I guess they were going for extremes. But yeah, like so that's it's not even really a criticism so much as an observation. But this is probably on par because there's something about Mary is rated R and maybe we'll review that in the future at some point, but that one is very gross out. Like, you know, even without seeing the movie, like on the poster and everything, you've got Cameron Diaz with her hair up in like a funny position. And if you've Mm -hmm. seen the movie, you know why. (laughs) And it's, it's pretty gross. Um, But this, this kind of veered into that territory for me. And again, it didn't make it worse. It just kind of, to me, I would imagine it makes it less accessible to people when a lot of the humor is based on being kind of disgusting. Um, And it had me, do not get me wrong, I was cracking up. This movie had me in stitches. Uh, As far (laughs) as being funny, I give it a 10 out of 10. Like, there were so many good jokes in this movie. Uh, But I do think that it would probably be a turnoff to people. So, you know, what's interesting, and I do think there's a difference from the version that you watched and the version that I watched, uh, specifically that sex scene that you're discussing. In the version I watched, she suggests it, or, you know, it's implied, and then it immediately cuts to him just throwing up. That's it. Okay, mine, and I thought this was a funny joke, because it was kind of a movie reference, which I normally don't like, but I like it when it's done well enough like so she suggests sex uh-huh. and then it cuts to her on the bed smoking while hello darkness uh hello darkness my old friend plays yeah so you know graduate reference and it's him puking and then as she's getting up to leave it's like in the in the background you see him throwing up and in the foreground again it's like a reference to the graduate but she's really ugly and she's like putting her her uh, leggings on and stuff and it's got like a real close-up of her her crotch yes yeah, see and, i think uh, i think that crotch shot was added in that version because i remember her putting her stockings on i remember her smoking but there th- there was nothing about her body except the fact that she's old that was shown to be super disgusting or anything like that so it's possible we saw the same scene and we just have different reactions to it because because the way the the cut of the movie I saw the whole scene plays out in a in a like a master shot I guess you could tell it again it's it's the the version I saw was like a homage to the graduate the whole like Mrs. Robinson putting her leg up yeah like, close to the screen and you see him stand and but in this sense he's puking in the toilet while she's got her leg up putting her her stuff on but uh and again, I don't think it's bad. I just thought it was like pretty. It, it again, like it's not even in a, a Jim Carrey film. But going back to last year when we were uh, talking about Yes Man, there's kind of a joke where uh, Jim Carrey has sex with his landlady, and it's played for laughs that she's old, but it's not uh, really drawing attention to uh, her to body. her in the same way this yeah. film was. And that's where again. 
I don't have a problem with it, but I could see someone possibly yeah. saying that it's problematic or something like that. And even if people don't feel that way, I could see it being just gross to people and maybe not as funny. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And again, it doesn't make it bad. Uh, quite frankly, a lot of the Ferrelli brothers films do use a lot of gross out comedy, like tons. Of, have you seen there's, is uh, there's something about Mary? I T? have not. My God, there is a, <laughs> so I guess that's a good I'll thing. I'll save it for potentially next year, but, uh, there is, there's a lot of gross out humor in that movie. Uh, but again, it does have heart. Uh, like the main character is still likable and everything like that. And the story is engaging. You know, what's but, interesting uh, to me is you describe how dark that opening scene is and what happens to him and how Bill Murray's character essentially does that to him. I mean, yeah. Uh, but you're like, I didn't care about the, <laughs> the char- I'm like, what? How, how could you not want to never... see him redeem himself? <laughs> no. Well, like, <laughs> Again, part of it, I think part of it was deflated because I knew it was coming. Again, I'd seen this movie in pieces on TV. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I saw it, I just was like, probably kind of like my sister, like, whoa, that's dark. Yeah. Um, And obviously I wanted uh, Bill Murray to get his comeuppance. Uh, And that's like, so I think I even said this in our last review, but like, I definitely did because you said that the road trip stuff didn't go on long enough. And I said that it kept the film from feeling long mm-hmm. this film felt long enough that i kind of didn't care by the final act because i was just like just get on with it he wins the bowling competition which i was wrong about by the way <laughs> um <laughs> but still it was like by the time he finally got there i was just like over it i was like whatever i'm sure he's gonna have some kind of a happy ending which did end up happening yeah uh but uh, like so the two things one uh i would argue um i think this probably didn't do i i do think you're right i think the tragedy probably played a part in this not doing well at the box office but one thing i feel like with this film and even another ferrelli brothers film uh stuck on you that came out later that i don't believe did very well mm-hmm. is i think this was kind of a weirdly niche film as far as like the subject matter because you've got an amish you've got a lot of amish jokes and then you've also got like a professional bowler and i understand that like the joke is that bowling is not considered a very respected professional sport so mm-hmm. like it would be kind of funny to do like a sports movie about bowling sort of the way like uh, a comedy I liked when I was like in middle school was dodgeball. And it's kind of the same thing, like taking, taking a sport that no one takes seriously and making it a serious sports movie. We'll, but I do remind think me to circle of, back to that. Cause I actually had a point on that, but keep going. Oh, that's good to know. But yeah, so I think that like, most people, if they were like seeing a trailer for this, they would probably not find it as appealing. Like one thing Dumb and Dumber had was that it was a very relatable kind of story, even if you're not an idiot. And even if you're not like, you know, being tracked by gangsters trying to get a suitcase back to someone, it is such a simple story that anyone can relate to it. Right. Whereas this is about a professional bowler, uh, getting a Amish person to compete in a professional bowling competition in Reno, Nevada. And it also has the road trip element to it, which I felt like went on. Actually, I don't think the road trip was the problem. Honestly, I, the competition at the end 
felt endless because it was just montage after montage of you know them competing and everything like that yeah uh so there's that and and the other real criticism i have and it's more just puzzling than it is a criticism but and i was talking about this with my sister is it's like this you have bill murray and he's barely in the movie he's 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 in a lot of the opening and he's in the a lot of the end mm-hmm but you have Bill Murray as the antagonist right. and you hardly utilize him. And, I, and my theory behind that is this was kind of, a lot of people will find this surprising if they didn't grow up in the nineties, but Bill Murray's career almost died in the nineties. Yeah. He, he was really big in the seventies and eighties. He was on SNL. He was in ghostbusters. We talked about Scrooge where he was like the highest paid actor in that movie. But when the 90s came around, he started doing a lot of bad movies and he started kind of he was almost like a rent an actor. Like he was mm-hmm. there. There was some comedy he was in where he co-starred with an elephant, <laughs> you know, and essentially his career was dead uh, until he met um, Wes Anderson. And he sort of revitalized his career with like his weird indie comedy sort of movies and then eventually his career picked up and now he's back you know to where he is yeah but that's something that is kind of a time capsule that i feel like a lot of our younger uh younger listeners won't know is that bill murray was kind of a hack in the 90s and that's my theory as to why he wasn't in this movie more because i do think he does a really good job he's a really good antagonist like you hate this guy especially after the opening where where uh woody harrelson loses his hand yeah but i just found it very strange that like you would pay to have bill murray in your film and he's barely in it um well i mean but if you think about it though in the silence of the lambs anthony hopkins is only in 13 minutes of the movie that is a good point but anthony hopkins also was not an a-list actor in fact silence of the lambs is what made him famous so it's about. like assuming that Bill Murray continued to have his fancy price tag from Scrooge, mm-hmm. you would want him to really be worth the money. Again, I don't know if like he he lowered the price of him getting paid in movies in the future, but assuming just going off of our review of Scrooge that he was like one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood at the time you would think that you would want to utilize him as much as possible. The reason Silence of the Lambs, like Anthony Hopkins, barely was in the movie, despite having one of the best performances, is because he was a stage actor. He was, like, in theater before that movie. I think he'd done some some stuff in film, but he was not at all famous. That movie is what made him famous. That's part of the reason he'll still get giddy if you ask him to do a Hannibal Lecter impression to this day. (laughs) So my so I'm assuming then at the time they they wanted him because first off, he wasn't the first choice for the role. Actually, Jim Carrey was their first choice for uh, McCracken. Oh, um, my God. Um, that would have been that would have been interesting. I don't think it would have worked. I don't Jim think Carrey it would have young because well, I also think one of the reasons I wouldn't work Jim Carrey is at least at that point, you, you, Jim Carrey you don't think of him as playing these mean bad guys, at least at the time. 
Yeah. Um, now, now he's Dr. Robotnik. Yeah, now, exactly. Now everyone thinks of him being a bad guy. Well, and, he, and also, like, uh, I think I mentioned this in our Yes Man review, but I thought he, he was the bad guy in uh, Burt Wonderstone. Yeah. That movie's terrible, but I thought he was really good in that. <laughs> but as you say. Uh, but so he wasn't the first. But so I do think he, Bill Murray, they were looking for a character in Bill Murray. And I, I actually, the more I've looked into Bill Murray, this makes more sense. He's really good at kind of playing these sort of just jerk characters. And I kind of get the impression that's because is what he's like in real life. Um, like, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I kind, I kind of wonder how much of McCracken was him acting and how much of it wasn't. I just kind of get that impression. I could be completely wrong. This is all alleged for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> but I just kind of I mean, get that impression. But I also think, like you said, because his career almost he his price wasn't as high, and so they didn't. It wasn't like it wasn't like they brought in this you know a list high paid actor for the smaller parts. Right. It's and I agree with you, by the way, I think he's really good at playing uh, assholes uh-huh. um, in real life. From what I hear, it's kind of a mix. If he likes you, he'll be really nice. Uh, but like I think of like Charlie's Angels, where he was super rude to Lucy Lou. Yeah. And it's like he he can be a complete dick yeah. if he wants to be. That's kind of Bill Murray. He's not necessarily a jerk, but he can be. Um, and he's definitely good at playing jerks. Yeah. Uh, um, so like, so for me, yeah, but that's, that's the question, right? Like, I would be curious, like, did you find out if he still was as expensive as he was for Scrooge? Because if he was, then I do find that interesting. But if he wasn't, if he did actually like lower the price of him being in the film, then, then that would make a lot of sense. Well, so I, I, I don't have I don't have an answer for that, but I do think he had to kind of go with for this role, at least for him to be hired at all, considering he wasn't even the first choice. He would have had to have gone with market value for him at the time, which from what you've said was not high. That's my speculation on that is I do not think it was the same that he got for Scrooge. But also, but also in Scrooge, you also have to look at because I do not know how actors pay pay works. You know, it might be a flat fee so, for everything. It might be based <clears throat> on the size of the part. I don't know. So this is the way it works. Um, so let's say you're not famous, like you're just an actor, but you land a lead role or like a good role. Right. Um, they'll pay you the base minimum salary of whatever it is for the Actors Guild, because the Actors Guild is a union. So they're like, this is what you have to pay an actor if they have a lead role or something. Mm-hmm. Now let's say that film is a hit, massive hit that star or that, that actor becomes a star overnight. The sequel, you have to pay them twice as much. Mm-hmm. Well, so I- that's where you, and that's also where you get Hollywood executives really trying to up the ante with sequels because they want twice the income. You know, yeah. you want twice the, the the revenue for that film because they are having to pay all of the same actors twice as much. Well, and I've also read at that at the same time, at the same time, the actors now can say, I got paid this much for this film, so that is now my rate. You know, so if they get paid twice as much for that other role, now that is how much they can pay they can, you know, that's, say I, I need to get paid. That's true. So, so I um, I think I actually just read there was some actress talking about how 
she's so thankful to Tyler Perry because Tyler Perry, even though she hadn't, she hadn't, you know, she was a good actor. She'd been in lots of stuff, but she hadn't, you know, been offered, you know, any of these big paydays. And so Tyler Perry offered her, he basically asked her, what do you think you're worth? She quoted a figure and he paid her that. And because of that, she was now able to request that um, seriously and not get laughed out of places for her standard rates. Man, I like Tyler Perry. I hate his movies, but he seems like <laughs> such a nice guy. And hilariously, when he acts in movies that aren't his movies, he is excellent. But anyway, and then, and then another um, uh, example of the whole actor pay rate thing is uh, it might be different now because he's not in the movies. But Robert Downey Jr. Uh, just a few years ago was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because he'd been in like 20 Marvel movies. So take what I just said and, <laughs> and think multiply about it by like, like six. You get paid twice as much for every sequel you're in, right? Right. Oh my God. So I love that. By, the, by the time he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood, he was getting paid $10 million. Oh, conspiracy per, like, theory. So, so even if he was just like in a Spider Man movie for five minutes, $10 million. Boom. So, okay, conspiracy that's how it works. Conspiracy theory. The real reason yeah. why why these directors are attacking Marvel movies is because they now have to pay people what they're worth. Potentially, but also <laughs> But that's 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 the question, right? That neither of us know the answer to is what happens when you don't yeah. do well? Yeah, what happens you when you're well. filmed? Like do you have to have your salary or do you still request the same amount that you were worth? As just a, based like, on, for instance, based on logic, I would say from what we what we just talked about is you can still seriously ask your offer, your your, your rate, but realistically, right. people won't hire you because of performance at box office. Does that right. make sense? So I think that's maybe no, that makes perfect sense. And the the other thing. Um, this is something I, I I was actually curious about is like within the last few years, like Robert Downey Jr. After leaving Marvel, he was in the Dr. Doolittle movie, which was horrible from everything <laughs> I've heard. But uh, it, it does also beg the question, like, how, was he paid the same amount he was paid to be Iron Man in that film? I would think so. And also another thing that does happen is actors can change their mind. Like if they, you know, if you're getting tons of money, you can decide to do whatever you want. Yeah. And um, there are times when actors just really like a role and they get the role and they're like, I know I'm more expensive than what you can give me. So I'm going to do this for like the baseline. I'm basically going to pay. Uh, oh, what is it? It's not spec for some reason that's in my for mind, scale. but basically like it's, what I was talking about, like called, the, the base pay that you get through the actors guild. Exactly. Like the lowest amount you can pay me. That's yeah. what I'll do it for. I mean, that's tons of, that's what, um, what's her face is, uh, uh, all, uh, all the money in the world. Um, it had Christopher Plummer, uh, Mark Wahlberg. And I forget what the actress's name was, but when they had, gotcha. when they had to go back and do reshoots, um, because, you know, cause originally Kevin Spacey played Christopher Plummer's role when that all came out and they had, they wanted to do reshoots to basically keep him out of the movie. Uh, the actress, and it's killing me that I do not remember her name. She said, wait, she, she said, I will, she, she makes, she would have, she, she phrased it. I would have done it for free, but 
because you know this i just pay me what you legally have to which was whatever exactly and then now of course mark mark Wahlberg was a scuzzball and negotiated for a higher <laughs> rate and then it was fab <laughs> and then it was fabulous because then he got shamed into donating it all to charity um ha. which i'm sorry because yeah, that he, was so he nearly freaking murdered a vietnamese, a vietnamese man no but um <laughs> No, but so like that happens a lot. That's a that's an example. There are actors who they just really want to play a role, so they, you know, they're like, yeah, just pay me the base rate for the Actors Guild, you know, and Michelle and Williams. That's who it was. It was Michelle Williams. Sorry. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So like it's it's always negotiable. So I I'm with you. I kind of feel like Bill Murray might have been cheaper in the '90s than he yeah. was in the '80s. But it's something I that was just in my mind. I was like, as I was watching this, partly because we had just reviewed Scrooge a few months ago, and I was just thinking, he's expensive. How right. <laughs> he's like barely in this movie, and he's very good in it. But uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, there's a couple things that were interesting about this movie. Um, what, I'm a bowler by trade, so I really nice. appreciated. I was like, I used to like bowling leagues and stuff. I, I love bowling. Really? Yes. I did not know that about you. Next time you come over, I will have to show you. I have my own engraved. Oh, bowl. I have my own engraved bowling ball. I love. Oh, bowling. I'm going to have to free. Like now it's a Now I want to see if I can beat someone who has uh, competed, you know, professionally. Well, so it's to been, speak. it's been a decade. I like, it's been a decade. So you probably could. <laughs> I like bowling. I love Speaking bowling. of which, that was a, that was a funny joke in the movie where uh, the Randy Quaid's like, oh, it's so great being about or around all these athletes and just shows all these <laughs> overweight men smoking. That was a good joke. I want, I, want, I want to circle back to something you had said previously. You talked about you know, kind of comparing it to dodgeball. And I had sort of done that in my head. And I, you know, dodgeball is still funny, but I, it's not one that I like as much. And you talked about how this movie has more of a male gaze. And to me, yes. Dodgeball is a very male gazy movie. Um, they, oh, I'm not disagreeing. No, 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 no. I don't, I, no, no, I have a point about that though. But I have a point about this, and I will agree. This does have more of a male gaze. However, I feel like it serves an alternate purpose in this movie than it does in um, Dodgeball. Because, like, even in Dodgeball, they, they, you know, they put in this lesbian kiss at the end, and you know that was just that was just all that all that was is for all all the all the weird gross men in the audience for them to get excited about. Like, it was not necessary. You, you do you know what I mean? It was kind of like reverse shock value almost. It was. Like, I do. Let's I make also. This I, I dodge Dodgeball. I still like it because I feel like it evens out. Like because. The whole like Ben Stiller's villain is basically like a, a comedic piss yeah. take on like toxic masculinity. Yeah, you know. So like, and and also like again, I saw Dodgeball when I was in like middle school, and I I wasn't really pervy at that age, and I just thought the the lesbian thing was kind of funny. <laughs> like, and she wasn't and she wasn't a lesbian; she was bisexual. I I forgot about that. She's like that was like the joke. Like they all thought she was a lesbian because she could throw really hard, and then she's like, "Hey, I'm not a lesbian; I'm bisexual." <laughs> it, was, it was still still probably not exactly uh, politically correct but whatever i i thought it was funny at the time and i still kind of think it's funny um she she's a cool character and i like but anyway yeah no i i kind of agree although i will say in in kingpin i don't think there was any reason for there to be a love interest in the movie I think you could cut all of that out and it would still be like, honestly, like you could I maybe do, I, turn I, I, it into kind of a bro, like 
friendship movie between him and the Amish guy. I think so. I do like I do like Vanessa Angel in this. I do like her character in this movie. And what I like about her, she you, know, you talk because especially we talk. Let's talk about the way that she dresses. They uh, they put her in very tight, very short clothing, um, lots of cleavage, and I do think that serves a purpose because in the way that she's presented at first, and then as we get to know her, she's the smart one. She knows business she 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 can get things done she's making things happen and like that whole sequence where they're winning tournaments you know like we do have her in the skimpy little off but the whole point is that she's she's essentially using her sensuality um to basically trip up essentially pervy men because like like, because like if you notice what's his face um ishmael he's he's never thrown off by that and I think and I think that's interesting and, you know, not to get all philosophical here, but Camille Paglia has said because uh, she, she talks she's talked about how the traditionally the 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 line on like strippers and exotic dancers is that they are the victims, you know, degrading themselves. And she's like, no, she's talked about they're, they're, they're not they're the ones with power. They're essentially using men's natural desires against them to take their money that they work for. <laughs> and absolutely and there's there's like a whole other podcast to be made about sex work but like really the only victimization is usually when it's like a pimp running the uh you know like if, if they don't have like any agency in their career then there's something to be said about that but as far as like you know it's it's a valid business and uh right well, all that sort of stuff but i agree with you i just don't think like it, it's kind of one of those things where it's it's there there's a function for it in the movie and outside of the movie in the movie it's part of her character because she's smart she knows that she can grift these people by showing her body yeah outside of the movie it's to get people's butts and seats you know what i mean like i'm sure you've seen the poster for this movie where it's like ishmael and like you know and she's bending over i do not upside down and i i do not understand that poster because to me that poster to get butts and seats it's again like i I, nothing no shame to the to miss angel who portrayed her or anything she did a great job uh but again it's like there's no point in that character being there other than to be kind of eye candy. I don't think that her character is poorly written. I don't think it's Mm -hmm. poorly performed, but I do still think like going into this, like again, dumb and dumber was a tight 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. possibly a hundred minutes. This movie was almost two hours long. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I was kind of like, Oh my God, this keeps going. And I was just thinking by the end of like stuff that would be a, able to be cut out um and a good chunk of it was like all of the bowling montages at the end but another thing i was thinking is like this this character is just unneeded you know no offense to the actress or anything it's not her fault uh but and that too like the very end of the movie is kind of that cliche like oh i love you like because we spent like a week together and now suddenly (laughs) like it just feels like really phoned in so and it wasn't really for most of the movie the kind of movie where there would be a love interest it was more about like this guy taking this equal and and even that too like i actually think that there was kind of a cool parallel between the young version of woody harrelson and in uh ishmael because they're both really young and naive 
they're 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 not aware of like grifting people or like all of the vices of the world you know woody harrelson's character wasn't an amish person but he also was like just a kid when he lost his hand yeah so if you're getting really deep and overthinking this stupid comedy like it feels like it wants to be like a buddy comedy like of this guy like hey i used to be you and i want to take you under my wing and stuff and then when you halfway through the movie just throw in this female love interest for woody harrelson to like win as a prize in the end of the movie Mm -hmm. it just feels really like like it's trying to please the audience more than anything and i don't think that has anything to do with the actress yeah uh or her performance i just feel like it's a a, one of those 90 cliches that thankfully we're not seeing very much in films anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of movies nowadays like they are realizing hey we don't need a love interest yeah it can just be about this character improving their life so there there doesn't need to be tna in this film so uh, so i agree with you partly i do think her character is necessary and i believe her character because i think for this story it needs to be a triangle um, ironically, like the poster, um, there needs to be because Ishmael doesn't really encourage any sort of change in Woody Harrelson's character at all because he just looks up to him. He really does. And sh- her character is the one that really kind of pushes him to change be the, and, and, and be different and to approach things differently and to realize when he's screwing up. And I and I do think there needed to be a third person there. So I do think her character is necessary. And I do think for it being bowling, which is, again, it's one of these, if you think about bowling, it's all, like you said, it's all these overweight, weird men. They needed somebody who could use that against them. So I do agree with her character there. However, what I, I agree with you on is the ending was so disappointing as far as making her a love interest. I, I was like, she does not need to be, I would, I would have liked to have seen ideally what I wanted to see happen is for them to go into essentially business together. I would have loved that. But the nineties was a time when people still had that belief that, uh, men and women couldn't be together without them being a couple. You know, it's like, it's like when, um, like I watched that show, the rookie that's on ABC right now. And there are these two characters that are partners and it's all they are is partners, but everybody online is like, Oh my God, let's see them get together. We need them to be together. And we're like, no, we kind of just like this like this because they can just work together. So I, I disagree with you on the point where her characters, I do think her character was necessary, but I agree with you on the ending and how it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like a prize at the end, which I did not like either. I want, I wished um, they would have left her as, a, as essentially them going into business together or something, or, you know, if they had decided to, if, if uh, what's this, uh, Ishmael decided to leave, you know, Amish people, you know, they would have become his managers or something. That's what I wanted to see happen. And and so that's kind of like where I stand on her. And that's why I hate this poster because I feel like this poster and I did not watch the trailer. I should have, but I didn't. I feel like the poster and everything is misleading. And I know you talked about it's to get people into the theater. And like I said, when we talk about Dumb and Dumber is it's because it was pandering to this specific uh, 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 demographic that they believed would see male comedies. And I feel like the film 
is different than what is portrayed potentially in the trailer and definitely with what's on the poster. So that's kind of my argument with that. And now, I completely agree. And I need a sip of water. Um, <laughs> no worries. I completely agree. And I, uh, and you do, you do raise an interesting point about the fact that uh, Ishbale wasn't really bettering Woody's character. So I, I do agree with that. Um, and also like as a counterpoint to like what you were talking about with this poster, Dumb and Dumber, like, again, like, they didn't need to do any of that to get butts and seats. Like, the poster for Dumb and Dumber, it's good at explaining what the movie is, but it's also, like, again, it's more wholesome than this movie because it's just the two of them, like, playing with each other's faces. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, like, it's simple. Again, like, hey, two stupid guys. That's what the movie's about. You want to watch two stupid guys go to Colorado? We got you. <laughs> we got you right here. No, but, um... But that's really that's really good. Um, shoot, while you were talking, I was thinking of like some other things. <laughs> you know, actually, now, actually, course, we were you were talking about you talked about that bo- the bowling montages, and so of course she has a bowl. Well, I, I love the bowling montages, but going back to the <clears throat> one where she's trying to, you know, they're they're trying to basically hustle them out of you know some cash by throwing the guys off and everything, with her being seductive. I was like a hundred percent sure, and I was so upset it didn't happen. I thought it would have been hilarious if there had been like. Like like a gay bowling league they'd been playing against or something, and she well, and she, and again she, maybe she does so, so maybe this is this is the unrated version I accidentally watched or something, but there was that joke. It wasn't gay people though. No, yeah, it, uh, it was the far- fact, it actually, was the farmers with the sheep. I thought that was funny. I did too. I thought that was very funny, and also I think that's funnier than. I guess, like, if it was a gay league, that's not necessarily not funny. But I like that it wasn't, like, making a joke at the expense of gay people. It was making a joke at the expense of people who have sex with animals, <laughs> which I'm always okay with. Well, <laughs> I, well, well first off, a couple of things. One thing, I love that Ishmael is aware of that point because he's the one that suggests it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, I just think it would have been interesting because I feel like if they're all portrayed the same way, it would have been fine. Like if they'd been like, I would have thought it would have been hilarious if it was like a gay league. Right. And then, uh, 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 Claudia and, and, um, and Woody Harrelson swapped places. That's what I was expecting <laughs> yeah. to happen. And, and then, then the sheep, the and, but again, sheep thing happened. And I was like, okay, that's still funny. That's still funny. <laughs> but I liked it. Cause it was also unexpected. Right. Um, <laughs> And I remembered one thing I was talking about. One thing I thought was because I I mentioned uh, the fact that the Ferrelli brothers are from Pennsylvania, uh-huh. and I again it's surprising to me they didn't write this. Well, it's it's surprising and it's not surprising. It's not surprising because I feel like it's one of their weaker scripts that they've directed. But it's not surprising because they're from Pennsylvania, which as a lot of people in the U.S. know is you know there's Amish countries all over the place. You said you went to one in Indiana, yeah. But a lot of Amish people live in Pennsylvania. There's and a whole so, and a lot of this, episode about that. Yeah, and I mean, this film, like, uh, you know, Woody Harrelson's character lives in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So it's, yeah. you know, it's not that... It makes sense that it would be set here. But it's it's honestly, like... It's 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 very American film in the sense that, like... It's funny, like, the things that are considered stereotypically American, quote-unquote, because a lot of them are not really American or, or at least they're, they're more complicated. Like when you think of American sports, you think of like baseball and football, right? One of the oldest American sports is bowling. Yeah. You know, it, it was one of the things that people who founded this country played, 
Um, it's it's the same way as like uh, people often forget popcorn or corn in general is like probably one of the most American foods because yeah. it was, you know, uh, grown by natives and you know, like it, it didn't used to exist anywhere else in the world. So like, I thought that was kind of interesting. And again, like I, I mentioned this earlier, it makes the movie very niche. It's a very strange combination of elements in a film. Yeah. <laughs> again, like the sports thing, the bowling thing, the Amish thing. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that tragedy definitely uh, hit the box office hard, but I do think this probably still wouldn't have performed as well as Dumb and Dumber just because it was such a very bizarre and specific story that it was telling. I, I agree with you. I think it would have been like a modest success. Yes, I agree. I think it would have at least broken even if it wasn't for well, the tragedy. It it, it, it did break even, but it didn't, but you know, it base it basically broke even and made just very little after that. I think it would have done exactly. not dumb and dumber, but it would have been like you said, it would have been considered a success. If, if not a block, it wouldn't have been a blockbuster, but it would have at least been a success. And this was just basically exactly. just like barely made back its budget and yeah now we're here but so there was uh, i would there's actually connection to dumb and dumber in this um do you remember when they get into a fight at the at the dance hall because ishmael is uh dancing with this guy's woman or whatever yes okay so seabass yeah uh so skidmark is related to seabass it has i read this online (laughs) apparently this has been confirmed somewhere in one of these interviews with the Frelly Bears, but this has been confirmed. And uh, Skidmark, the guy that fights him, is played by Roger, uh, I think it's Roger Clemens, Roger Clemens from the Red Sox. Um, but yeah. Oh my God. And they also got another athlete. Yeah. So that's great. He's supposed to be related to, to Seabass. Um, but I, I I thought it was funny. But also interesting to me is they actually had some professional bowlers appear in this movie. They had Parker Bone the Third and Mark Roth appear during the tournament, um, the final tournament. And uh, Mark Roth actually loses to uh, Woody Harrelson's character, um, and they shake hands. But they they were pro bowling pro bowling Hall of Famers that appeared in this movie, and then. Also, I read that uh, the final Bill Murray's final uh, thing where he bowls three strikes. Bill Murray actually did bowl three strikes um, in that ta- in one at least one of the takes that they did of that scene. He did bowl three strikes um, in a row. And then Woody Harrelson's <laughs> Woody Harrelson was a terrible bowler, so he had to have lots of help uh, from special effects making sure his <laughs> that he. Uh, <laughs> that he did that he bowled correctly <laughs> well you know what's funny is uh even if he wasn't a terrible bowler i feel like th- that was something watching the film i thought about is like he's doing it with a rubber hand yeah that must be freaking hard like right both for the character and also like if you're trying to act with like a fake hand it's like wouldn't there be a better a better prosthetic to use to bowl than a uh I that drives me crazy. I'm not I'm not a pro bowler like UT. Okay, I'm not a pro I bowler. I, I, I just like, said I bowled in leagues. Okay, I don't know where this pro came from, but I did I'm not a pro bowler like UT. I did but, get a uh, small like scholarship some finger from control. The youth bowling league. That's cool. <laughs> 
Oh, but that's good. Uh, one thing I want to say before we ever end up ending this, I just need to say this, is that band at the end of the movie, like, the I wasn't a huge fan of, like, oh, ha-ha, the, the Amish people are listening to, like, a popular band of the 90s, but that band that was playing, I don't know if you caught on to this, that is the best harmonica playing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't ever that heard. great. It was unreal. I It literally, like, I... Ooh, that I'd never heard of that group before, but both me and my sister was like, this almost sounds fake. It's so precise in the notes that they're hitting. So it was an actual band uh, called. Uh, uh, it was in the credits. I remember it was like the blues. Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler. That's what it was. And the song was called So Anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway. Is curious because. But anyway, yeah, so you if, if anyone's curious what I'm talking about, look up that song. That harmonica playing is ridiculous. That's, that, 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 that was great. <laughs> that was a nice little thing at the end. But you know what's interesting is I kind of like, though, the, the portrayal of Amish people in it. it. It didn't make them seem ridiculous. You know what I mean? No. And no, I feel I feel like uh, that would have been super easy to do or something, and nobody like 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 it didn't cross into like what I would consider disrespectful territory, where like Woody Harrelson rolls in and like sleeps with somebody or something like that. Do you, you know what I mean? I actually, do I, do, do I do love that they cast obviously possibly a model or like a famous you know actor. I, the, the the person who played Rebecca, like the Amish girl that Ishmael was into. Mm-hmm. I love that they made her like ridiculously conventionally attractive. Attractive. Um, but yeah, like, no, there were plenty of Amish jokes, but it was never at the expense of the Amish. Like, that's always, like, that's my opinion for, like, what is offensive. Who is being made fun of? Yeah. Like, because, uh, you know, you can make jokes about the Amish, but I don't think it's fair if you're making fun of them. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, uh, like all the jokes and, and were this at is the a expense. Great example. They were at the expense of Woody Harrelson being a fish out of water, essentially. Yeah, and also him being terrible at everything. Like he's, and also being such a loser that he like stops raising a barn in between that, like <laughs> to get food. <laughs> yeah, he's like again, like the Amish people see perfectly fine in the movie. Like there's never like a joke, like oh look at these weirdos or something. It's always as you said. It's that quite frankly, most of the movie is at the expense of. Woody Harrelson's character. Everything that is funny, it has to do with him, which is kind of sad because he, he started off as such a nice guy. Yeah, but yeah, like uh, this this movie, it's it's a mixed bag for me. That's a, that's your catchphrase. Incredibly, that should be your ending phrase. You always say mixed bag. <laughs> I don't always say mixed bag. Depends on which movie we're talking. About. I think like the I, only like, other time I'd heard mixed bag before I started doing podcasts with you was on standardized tests. <laughs> I don't know when I've heard mixed bag in a standardized test, but um, as I said before, this movie to me was super, super funny. Yeah. But as far as like being engaged in the story, I it was like eh, I I was just waiting for the next joke ironically i will give the ferrelli brothers credit since they didn't write this one that uh that wasn't their fault but uh but it's it's not bad i Uh, have a suspicion i have a suspicion just based on how the movie was structured that there might have been a rewrite of the ending um at probably Ah. the request of the studio you know 
they gotta they gotta make sure all those people are pleased with that the happy romantic ending with the hot the token hot girl right because movie. like I, I i just don't feel like i feel like for a lot there was i feel like for a lot of the movie until like the end i didn't I, I I was there was there wasn't like sexual tension or romance there was zero sexual tension. Yeah, I I cared more about Ishmael getting with Rebecca than I did <laughs> with Claudia, and like I did not care. Um, and that's I think part of the reason I I felt like she should be cut out completely. But um, but yeah, all in all, uh, I think I would give this film. I'll give it two and a half pins out of ten, or out. Excuse me, out of four, not out of, <laughs> out of four. Think, I was don't too, you mean too f- stuck on the bowling? Don't you mean fifteen because they work twice as hard? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I would give this. Oh my god! I would give this three out of four pitchers of sweet tea. I, I I'm excited. I'm glad for, you enjoyed uh, it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because I did. After it's last funny. episode, I, would... I was worried. I thought it was gonna be like, oh, he. Ate no, it. no, no. I, I will say, like, I I said this last episode, but the one thing this and uh, there's something about Mary kind of suffers from is there is a bit of shock comedy, like not to the point where it's offensive, but this is a movie where if I were to watch it right now, I would not laugh as hard because I remember all the punchlines. We were talking last episode about how that is kind of a that's a, that's a, a problem for comedies. Yeah, and it's like I, I mentioned there was a scene in There's Something About Mary that had me laughing so hard because I forgot that it was in the movie. And that's kind of a lot of the scenes I was talking about, like the urinal scene and the psycho scene. and The, the psycho scene's just funny, but like <laughs> a lot of the more gross-out kind of shock comedy stuff in this movie, you'll have to wait several years before re-watching because it helps if you don't remember what the punchline is. Right before seeing it again and again with dumb and dumber i don't think it has that problem because a lot of the jokes are still very like rewatchable like even if you know where it's going it's still funny to get there Mm -hmm. whereas this like the urinal joke for instance i'm not gonna laugh as hard because i I didn't know where i also didn't think that that joke was as a gross out as you classified it because we don't see anything happening (laughs) no you're right like i shock is what i would consider that like the shock of oh my god he's he's taking a poop in the urinal like that that's what it is um but yeah so like that's that's really the worst thing holding it back comedy wise story wise i i blame the two <laughs> the two writers who wrote this one instead of the Ferrelli brothers but <laughs> i just didn't really care too much about like what was actually going on in the story and see but, i uh, just call, if... i just call you heartless because that was a harrowing story losing your hand <laughs> through by you know essentially the underworld shoving your hand into a into a ball retrieval machine and then you have to live life and you get the chance to face off against your against your uh the guy that brought that to you oh my god whiskey is heartless start a hashtag hashtag heartless whiskey no but uh but it is enjoyable if you like comedies if you like the ferrelli brothers and you kind of like a little bit more edgy like 90s comedies and for some reason you haven't seen this i do think it's worth watching just keep in mind it's probably not going to be your favorite ferrelli brothers movie but you know if if for some reason you haven't seen it or have an interest in seeing it after listening to us spoil some of the jokes it's it is funny i can definitely say that i mean there is a connection to for, for those of you that like groundhog's day 
Um, <laughs> the guy that's the other reporter in Groundhog's Day, or the cameraman in Groundhog's Day, he is in this movie as the as as the betting guy. I don't I don't even think nice. his character even has a name. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I did. Sweet. Well, so let's... it was weird to see him with hair. <laughs> anyway. So thank well, you. Let's, let's yeah. Let's try and sign off with something else. Uh, I will oh, say man. this time. Uh, <laughs> keep keep tuning in with us for a real good time. <laughs> and now, since I'm being forced to change my signature catchphrase, I will say. Be sure, be sure to vote on uh, vote on Suck It Scorsese. Yes. Our, like hopefully we'll be doing tinder or yeah tinder. twitter polls all right whiskey whiskey will be on tinder for those of you who want to find it <laughs> ha twitter polls for these um geez it's this dragon's milk guys oh my god told you this would be a spicy episode but uh yeah uh twitter polls for like all these different like sign-offs uh I don't even remember what all of the ones I've said for this this year are, but hopefully we can find one that sticks. Uh, and I I like suck at Scorsese. That's a fun one. That's a fun one. <laughs> Here, how about for this? I'll say for this one, get in, bitch. We're going bowling. <laughs> nice, nice. On topic. Surprisingly, Sweet Tea's a professional bowler. <laughs> Confirmed. Confirmed. I never said professional. I don't know where you got that from professional i mean if you're in a league <laughs> knowing that would now we have to look at the big lebowski in the future i have a feeling you'd enjoy that one i'm apprehensive about that one but <laughs> with i think you'd like it with that being said what is your what is your what is your ending phrase scream at us on twitter or tinder or instagram <laughs> um, okay and we please will... please give us a follow let us know what you'd like us to review we will always take into account if there's any requests uh feel free to check out our backlog of episodes and if you're watching this on youtube feel free to like and subscribe if you're so inclined and if you want to check us out you can listen to us on any of the other streaming platforms that we are available on as a podcast don't watch us on those Stream with stream us on those is what I'm going to say. And also let us know on Twitter if whiskey should be drunk for more episodes. But what if they like to watch tea? What if they like to watch the podcast? You know what? I, I am, I, you know, I am not going to stand in the way of their happiness. If you want to go watch a podcast, watch a podcast. <laughs> you can draw a picture of what you think we look like post, like tape it to your wall and just stare at that while you listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not creepy, but okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert: We're bringing back anime, guys. Yes, so, we will be bringing back uh, any anime. anime fans will be happy. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, stay tuned for that, and we will catch y'all in the next one. Peace. Reels on the Rocks is a production of La Prince Laboratories. It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo and features original artwork by Ace Esparza and original music by Pat Mars. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us with any movies or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future. Mm-hmm.